0: One of my favorite things to do is to eat. And I'm looking forward in about 45 minutes from now to sitting down and eating. And then I'm going to enjoy resting this afternoon and napping because I've eaten too much. And that's going to be many of your testimony. My favorite place to eat is varied, but one of my favorite things, foods, is steak. I absolutely love a filet mignon, and I will pay a good amount of money for a decent piece of steak. Now, for those of you who are vegetarians in the room, I'm not going to call any names, but uh, you all know who you are. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you go through life without enjoying the bounty of God's creation, because when God made the cow, the Hindus have it right. It is sacred. It is sacred. It's one of the few things they have right. They're not right about Jesus. But I love to go and I love to have my favorite meal, filet mignon medium with grilled asparagus and a nice loaded baked potato. There is nothing better other than Jesus and my wife, okay? Nothing better than those two things, than that. But the interesting thing is I can can fast all day long, And I can go and I can plan and my mouth is salivating over this steak that I'm about to cut into. And I don't really want it to move. I'm not one of those people that likes the steak to move. So I I like it a little bit more done than than normal. But the interesting thing is, about three or four hours later, I'm hungry again. It's an interesting thing. You can be famished. And my family can tell you, you as anybody in my extended family, if I'm in a bad mood, it is usually because I'm hungry. Uh, and when I get hungry, I get mean. Uh, I, get, I get really, really mean. In fact, uh, several years ago, uh, when I was on staff another church, uh, I went on one of these diets. And I'll tell you why I went on this diet. Uh, it's because I had dressed up in a tuxedo years before for a Valentine's banquet. And I kept that tuxedo, and I went to try to put the thing on. Uh, and I was going to get into it. Some of you women know what I'm talking about. You're going to get into it no matter what it takes. And so I'm up on stage, and I have sucked everything there is to suck in. And I have these pants on, and the butt, boom, I mean, it just, it just, boom. and I'm like, thankfully, I had a jacket to cover up, so no one really knew. And I had to be very careful about moving around because it's free. My pants would fall off. Uh, And the moral of the story is, so I went on one of these serious diets. I said, I've had enough of this. I'm not going to buy a new wardrobe. I'm going to go on a diet. And my type of dieting, I'm just very mean. Uh, I just cold turkey, quit eating. All I do is drink water. That's what I do. Um, And my secretary at the time... Uh, conspired with another staff member and they told me, they confronted me in my office and she said, today we are going to lunch. This is about two weeks into my diet. Today we are going to lunch and today you are going to eat if we have to sit on you and force you to eat because frankly the last two weeks have been the worst two weeks of our jobs here because you have been in a bad mood. And so I went and ate. The interesting thing about eating, though, the interesting thing about those things that we have an appetite for is that we always get it again. You can be hungry this afternoon. Some of you are hungry right now because you skipped breakfast because you woke up too late and you knew your mama wanted you to be in church on time. And so you're going to go home today and you're going to eat. And the interesting thing about it is several hours later, you're going to go back to the refrigerator and you're going to look for something else. God knows how we are. God knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And one of the things that God knows is that anytime we pursue or we go after anything other than a lasting relationship with Christ, we are always, always going to be hungering and thirsting for something more. All the way back in the Old Testament. I don't even have to go to the New Testament for this, folks. All the way back in the Old Testament in Haggai, the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. I want you to think about your life for a moment, and I want you to think about what you have pursued in your life. I mean, think about it. Some of you, your dream, your dream was to be able to drive without your parents in the car. And so that, that's what you set your hopes on. You know, I want to be able to drive without my parents in the car. Or you have this idea, you want your dream car. See, my dream car is a BMW 7 Series, all decked out. That's the kind of car I want. And if I ever got enough money to buy it, I wouldn't do it. And if someone gave it to me, I'd sell it because it's just way too much money for a vehicle. But that, that was one of my dreams growing up. I've had other dreams. Some of you have a dream of settling down, getting married, uh, maybe perhaps graduating from college, going to technical school, being good in your field, being the best in your field, to have children. And then once you have kids and you raise a family, to be able to live in some way, shape, or form comfortably, whatever that means, and you and I have bought in, as I mentioned before, this uh, pseudo-American dream, this American dream that you can have everything you want when you want it. And the reality is there are so many people in this very room, week after week, that are pursuing, pursuing, pursuing things here, there, and yonder. And yet, guess what? They are never filled. They're always thirsty. They're always hungry. They're always running on empty. Why? Because they are filling their lives with things that will never, ever satisfy. What happens as a result? When you and I pursue things, and we are never satisfied by those things which we pursue... Something happens, and this is what happens. We get disillusioned, we get disgruntled, and we end up being complainers. We end up being dissatisfied. Have you ever been around a dissatisfied person? Some of you could raise your hand and say, yes, that's my husband. Uh, Maybe, or it could be your wife. You're always seeking something else. You're always seeking more. And once you attain that which you're seeking, you're never happy. There's some kind of new something to seek, some kind of new level that you want to arrive at. You and I aimlessly pursue these things that are not of God. We aimlessly pursue these and make these things our priority. We make these the foundation on which we build our life and which we build our journey. And we're disillusioned. The entire time. And we get hurt along the way. And some of us who get hurt along the way because we're never satisfied, we grow depressed, more and more depressed because we're in more and more debt, because we're trying to arrive at a certain destination. And the thing is, the destination keeps moving. Because every time we think that we've arrived at the one place that we want to be, there's some kind of new location to move to. So we're hurt and we're hurting. And do you know what happens? Do you know what kind of embodies a hurting person? A hurting person hurts people. Always. Oh, I want you to think about that. When's the last time that you've been hurt by someone? It's interesting. When you unpack their story, when you peel back the onion of their life, Usually, when people hurt us, nine times out of ten, it is because they are. Hurting. And all over the world today, there will be people assembled in congregations. Do you realize this is one of the few years in recent history where both the Eastern Church and the Western Church are celebrating Easter on the same weekend. All across the world today, people have assembled in congregations just like this to sing songs of hope, to sing songs of peace, to praise Jesus Christ for the resurrection and the life. And sometimes those people never show up any other part of the year, but make no mistake, when they show up today, they're running on empty as much today as they've been running throughout the year. And they can fake it for a couple of hours. But you know what? We will never fake our relationship or lack thereof with Christ. He knows us intricately. Scriptures tell us about how God desires a relationship with His people, how all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God orchestrated events to bring glory to Himself, to reach a point where He could offer the ultimate sacrifice and that He could do away with all those sacrifices that were being offered. And the sacrifice that He offered was His Son. That's what we celebrate or we remember on Good Friday and today we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. When people are running on empty, when they're unhappy, get ready, because they are going to make other people's lives around them unhappy as well. When I went on my diet and refused to eat, I was not only miserable, I made people around me miserable. Hurting people hurt people. How do I know that? Well, the story is told... Here in Haggai, give careful thoughts to your ways. Pay attention to the fact that you're eating but not being filled up with food. It's not lasting. You're drinking and you're not having your fill. You're making money, but you're putting it in a pocketbook with holes. In other words, you're never ever going to arrive at the dream that you want to. The story is told of a man. And this man was an amazing man. He was called by God to do amazing things. He was called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he heeded that call. He became a follower of Jesus. But you see, along the way, he kind of noticed the way uh, Jesus would do things, and he felt like that Jesus wasn't doing the things the way he should be doing them, and he was someone that was a very passionate religious person. He wanted to make sure that Jesus would have his heyday. He wanted to make sure that Jesus would be a person that would show people exactly who he was, because he believed that if Jesus could demonstrate the power of God in a tangible, real way, then people would feel. Flock to have what he had and what Jesus had. And so, as he quietly served Jesus, he saw Jesus heal. He saw Jesus cause blind people to see and lame people to walk. But deep down inside, he wasn't satisfied. Deep down inside, he was hurting. He ultimately wanted God to show himself. And so, over a period of time, he developed. Plan, And the plan secretly would be something like this. Jesus may want to inaugurate His kingdom. Jesus may want to display Himself. But I am going to put it out there so Jesus has to identify who He is. He has to show the world who He is. And so He conspired with the preachers of the day. And they paid Him. And He went and He portrayed Jesus. And We know the story. We know who we're talking about. It's Judas Iscariot. Zealot, a person that's very passionate. Do you realize a zealot, see Judas gets a bad rap, but really Judas is, we think, a lot of scholars say, he was part of the Essene community of zealots. Now, you may not know anything about the Essene community. You may have heard this word though, Dead Sea Scrolls. Essene community at Qumran was responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now here let me tell you why the Dead Sea Scrolls are important. The Dead Sea Scrolls are important because from those Dead Sea Scrolls we get the oldest copies of Scripture, the reason that you and I have a New American Standard version of the Bible, the reason that we have a New International Version of the Bible, those modern translations is because we found scrolls at Qumran which could be perhaps written by those very zealots that Judas would have been a part of. So Judas is a religious person. He cares about God. He cares about God's will. He cares about God's word. But he's not happy. he's disgruntled, and so he betrays Jesus in order to push Jesus out there so Jesus will demonstrate himself only. And see, this is what Judas expected. Judas expected to point out who Jesus was, and then Jesus would inaugurate or begin his kingdom. And that meant Jesus would be king. And I think Judas thought to himself, well, if he's king and I'm one of the twelve disciples, that means that I'll be royalty too. Strange thing happened, though. He went up to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as the Gospels record. He gave him a kiss, which was the sign. They came and arrested Jesus. They took him away. And I think in that moment, moment, Judas thought, okay, well, this is going to be it. I can't wait. Let's see what's going to happen. Well, they took him to a trial, a mock trial, where they mocked him, they beat him, they flogged him, they questioned him. And he never did do What Judas thought he was going to do. Jesus just took it. Jesus just endured it. To the point that when he's on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Judas watches Jesus. And Judas begins to realize in this critical moment that what he has done is completely, completely different than what Jesus' plan was. How do I know that? Well, because if you look in Matthew, the 27th chapter, it records this. Early in the morning, all the chief priests, all the big preachers of the day, and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death and so they bound him, referring to Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with what? Remorse. And he returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. And he said, I have sinned, for I have Betrayed, innocent blood. What is that to us, the chief preachers replied. That's your problem, your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. You know, when I think about what disciple I most align or my life most aligns with, I must confess to you, I wish that it was Peter. But I think over and over again, it's more and more Judas. Why? Because like so many of you in this room, we have some of the best intentions. Judas did not want to bring harm to Jesus. Judas wanted Jesus to display who he was. And when Jesus did not follow suit, with the actions that Judas thought, Judas has this aha light bulb moment and realizes, oh dear Lord have mercy, I have betrayed innocent blood. And then he goes about trying to correct it. He goes to the very people that he betrayed Jesus with and he says, look, basically I made a mistake. And they said, that's not our problem. In other words, that's not our responsibility. So Judas took the money that he tried to give back to those chief priests and he threw it, the Bible records, he threw it in the temple. What's the significance of that? Well, let me tell you the significance. The temple is the place most holy for worship. So when Judas takes that money and he tosses it back into the temple, he's tossing it into the holiest of places. Why? To offer an offering that his life could never offer. And then Judas, filled with remorse, went out and hanged himself. A tragic ending to a tragic story. Why? Because deep down, Judas was a person of ambition. Judas was a person that wanted what he wanted. He wanted God to do what he wanted. He wanted Jesus to do what he wanted. He wanted Jesus to show up when he wanted Him to show up. He wanted Jesus to shut up when he wanted Jesus to shut up. He wanted Jesus Christ, but he wanted Jesus Christ that was convenient. He wanted a Jesus that would only possibly bother him on Sunday or Wednesday, not a Jesus that was going to call him every single day in every sort of way. And as a disgruntled, hurting person, remember what I said, hurting people hurt others, he put affliction on Jesus. And Jesus went to a cross, and he bore not only Judas's sin but he bore the sins of the world. That's right, sins of the world. Your sin, uh, the off-color text you sent this week, the movie that you snuck and watched and you shouldn't have, the unwholesome talk, the curse words, and listen, we could go on until Jesus comes back a third time to confess all that we've done. But here's the fact. Our confession, or lack thereof, does not nullify the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin and all our sins. And guess what? There's nothing we can do about it. All we can do is believe, trust, and pursue Him. When I want to ask you this question. Judas, who is hurting... Hurts others. Judas betrayed Jesus Christ, as the scripture records, for 30 pieces of silver. How much have you been willing to betray him for? Let's pray. Father, as we think about that single question, what? Have we been willing to betray Jesus for? Those are haunting words, especially to souls that are hollow. Father, in this moment of invitation, that question, that question that sinks into the hearts and minds of people what have we been willing to betray Christ for? I would submit to you, Father, that no one in this room—we have traded, uh, we've traded a lot more than thirty pieces of silver, a lot less than thirty pieces of silver—to betray Jesus. But Lord, you know our story. Lord, we look at Scripture and we see the travesty of one that you called one of your own to be a radical follower of your Son Jesus Christ, to be a disciple, and yet he walked, he talked was in ministry with Jesus for three years, and yet he misses the point. How much easier is it for us today to miss the point? But yet your call is still as loud. Grace is still real. And your truth is in this place, in the here and now. Father, forgive us for betraying you. Forgive us of letting go of the things that matter. Father, forgive us for pursuing and hungering things that we should have never pursued and hungered for. And Father, today as many of us run on empty, we pray, Almighty God, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us a new life, new direction. Help us to quit disrespecting our wives. Help us to quit dishonoring our children. Forgive us for giving up on neighbors and friends. God, correct our hearts. Renew our hearts. And give us a steadfast vision of pursuing you. Lord, we've not just betrayed each other we have sinned against you. And in this invitation, all God's people, which is every single person in this room, has business to do with you. Hear our confession. Hear our cry. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to trust in Christ, You need to recommit yourself. You need to come to this altar and just let your heart flow. I want you to know that God in this moment can radically change you. Your ending does not have to be the same as Judas. Judas, who was running on empty, hurt people. And you know this morning if you're running on anything but Christ, if you're running on empty, stop running and pursue the Father. Stop running and pursue him. Let him fill you up. Let your cup runneth over. Quit just going through the motions of faith and religion and begin following Jesus Christ. He loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. And He will make a way even though you can't believe it or understand it. It's not about your belief. It is the fact that Christ believes in you. He has given you this moment. And so when we sing in a few moments in Christ alone, don't you dare sing those words unless they come from a heart that's aligned with the Father.